Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. These podcasts are designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students with information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor and have designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as we battle the bullying epidemic. We're going to continue our series and are going to be talking about behaviors that kids exhibit and when not dealt with correctly will weaken any classroom or school. When too many of these behaviors exist, everyone can suffer from what I call the kryptonite syndrome. Today we're going to be discussing something that I call circumstantial kryptonite. Excuses are built around circumstance, environmental and genetic circumstance. Crimes get committed and circumstance is always brought up. Tough upbringing or he was raised on the wrong side of the tracks are just two excuses used. We're determined. That's who we are and we can't change. Circumstances only influence. They don't determine behavior. Provide enough excuses for anyone and they will provide you the evidence to support your belief. Teachers have been forced to excuse behavior by a dysfunctional system, a system that has been shoehorned into education by a dysfunctional society. I've always enjoyed watching court TV. I like watching because I love listening to the defense arguments. I enjoy listening to see how the attorney for the defense can come up with all kinds of excuses to explain why the person on trial committed the crime. The defendant could even have confessed to the crime and the defense attorney will still find some circumstance that caused the person to commit the crime in essence, to excuse the crime. I was watching once, and there was a 15-year-old kid named Brian Pittman on trial for killing his grandparents two years earlier. This young man shot his grandparents at close range in their sleep with a shotgun, put the leash on the dog, walked out of the trailer that they lived in, doused the trailer with gasoline, lit the trailer on fire, and got in a pickup truck and drove away. The trial went on for weeks, and I watched most of it. The defense attorney was running out of ammunition, so he decided to play a card that is becoming a very common excuse for deviant behavior. The the defense attorney contended that the reason that this boy committed this heinous crime was because he had an adverse reaction to Zoloft an antidepressant drug that he was taking at the time. I sat on the edge of my seat as I waited for the verdict. 
I was thinking that if this person can be found innocent for murder because of a medication issue, anyone can get away with anything. I'm amazed how family, environment, genetics, and medication can be used as an excuse for behavior in society today. Once these factors are considered the cause of deviant behavior, the person who committed the crime or behaved inappropriately will not be held responsible. It follows then that they should be excused for these behaviors, in other words, not held accountable. Ultimately, people should be held accountable for their actions and consequences must be imposed. Consequences are the only thing that will stop negative or deviant behavior, such as talking back, not completing homework, bullying, lying, speeding, sexual harassment on the job, stealing, rape, and murder. Today in society, we've reached the point where as soon as parents have trouble managing their child's behavior, where the school makes them aware that their child is acting inappropriately in school, parents are ready to conclude that these behaviors are caused by maybe attention deficit disorder or a teacher with unrealistic expectations, or maybe even another child. Parents rarely think of holding themselves responsible or of asking themselves, where am I going wrong here and what do I need to change? Or I need to hold my child responsible. So consequences, so what consequences will I impose? It's so much easier to blame the school, a teacher, an administrator, guidance counselor, another student, or a medical condition. In schools, teachers blame students, poor behavior, or poor academic performance on a difficult circumstance at home or on the fact that the child's parents will not put the child on medication. In society, if a person commits a crime that is punishable, the defense attorney will try to convince a jury that the person is mentally ill or comes from a pitiful family background and should not be held responsible. As a school administrator, I observed deviant behavior and believe me, I've done my best to hold students accountable. I, I just don't look at the students' isolated behavior at the time, but I consider what would happen if the behavior continued and how would it affect the student's chances for success as an adult. I was working as a principal of a school for disturbed students in 1993. Most of the students were depressed, psychotic, and were on medication. When I took over the school, there was no system of accountability, so I instituted an in-school suspension program that was used as a means of keeping students in the school for offenses they would otherwise have been suspended for. One morning, a student came in into the school late and proceeded to kick out a window, punch a teacher, tear down hallway decorations and bulletin boards, and was screaming so, so loud he could be heard in the next county. He was brought into my office, and I said to him, Nick, I changed his name, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, but for now, take a seat in in-school suspension. About five minutes later, a school therapist walked into my office. She was furious. She said, You have Nick in in-school suspension? I said, yes, 
Have you taken a look what he did to the building? She then said, Did you know that Nick didn't have any breakfast this morning? I said, I haven't any coffee yet, but I'm still talking to you. I then asked her to leave the office. Did it really matter that Nick didn't have breakfast? Of course not. What really mattered was that Nick was... that What mattered was that if Nick were not disciplined for this inappropriate behavior, he would most definitely repeat the behavior again. I thought about what I was going to do, and I knew that I would have to suspend him for sure, but I also knew that I had to begin working on developing a relationship with Nick so that he wouldn't react this way again. About 10.30 in the morning, I walked down an in-school suspension, brought Nick a bagel and an orange juice. I told Nick that he'd have, that, you know, he should have breakfast before he comes to school, but if he didn't, he should come into my office and I would get him something to eat. Nick was suspended for 10 days, police charges were filed, and he had to write a letter of apology. Had there been no consequences, I'm not sure what Nick's behavior would have been like as he moved forward in life. The only way that we can assure ourselves of a safe school climate and community is by using effective consequences. And by the way, Brian Pittman was found guilty. At 15 years of age, he was sentenced and he had to do 30 years in prison. My name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101. If you'd like to hear more podcasts or watch some videos, please go to my YouTube channel at Anti-Bullying 101. Also, if you'd like some great products, resources, lesson plans, and even online courses, visit my website, www.bullyproofclassroom.com, and you'll find all you need there in order to help deal with the bullying epidemic. My name is Jim Burns, and this has been Anti-Bullying 101.